0: up to part two in our Investing 101 series. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I would strongly encourage you to stop here, my friends. Go back, listen to part one, because in this episode, I'm going to talk about more things that you need to understand. I want to answer lots of burning questions that you might have to get you started investing. This podcast is for you if you want to be confident and empowered in your money decisions. My name is Jessica Brady. I'm a financial educator. I run the Greenhouse Money Growing Program. Now let's get financially fierce. Alrighty, kicking off part two of Investing 101. God, I've got so many things that I want to teach you when it comes to investing and no doubt over time for each of these components or some of these components will go deeper. But I want to remind you, investing is for the long game. We want to invest for long term us, future us, our brains annoyingly find it really hard to connect to future us that can be where people stumble when it comes to investing. Yeah, there's fear. Yeah, there's a little bit to get your head around. But also often we're just so busy in the day to day. We don't really stop and think, what does Jess from 20 years from now need me to do right now to build the life that I want? Our brains are designed to look at where we're at right now. Are we safe? Can I eat it? Can I fall in love with them or not? (laughs) Am I in danger? So we're going to have to naturally learn to override our bias towards the short-term when it comes to investing. One of the most interesting, fascinating pieces on this, a study came out in, I can't remember, it was a little while ago from a research lab in New York and they tested our ability to look after long-term us and annoyingly, We, as a collective, we're quite shit at it. But what they found was quite fascinating. So, if you're like, oh, God, I really struggle to think about long-term me, this might help you. They got a control group and they looked at whether someone was able to save or invest for long-term them, just staying in the norm. But the other control group, they did one tiny difference. They got a photo of them and they digitally aged it and they made them look at that person who is you 20, 30, 40 years from now And they saw a massive increase in that control group in terms of how people were able to set themselves up financially for that later version of themselves. So if you struggle, great news is technology is in our hands. Go and find an app that ages you. It's highly confronting. I had a great giggle when I did it to myself. But stare at that person who has wrinkles and looks cute and grey and old and that might be what you need to get you started for the long term. Simple as just looking at an old photo or well, a photo of us that is of old version of us, not an old photo of us. Don't use a baby photo. I don't think that'd work. Because when we're able to see older version of us, we feel empathy for that person and we can start to go, Oh my God, what does that person actually firstly is that me? And what does that person need me to do? And so we're investing for the long term, for the long game. And I want to caution you that if you come across, I don't know, get-rich-quick schemes, my general advice here is that you run, don't walk in the other direction. I've seen very, very few get-rich-quick schemes that work and many that do not. So your reminder from part one, when we invest for the first time, it feels scary, so scary. And I talked a little bit about the fact that I wanted huge levels of control (laughs) and I want to tell you So fear naturally lives within all of us. It's actually designed to keep us safe, which is smart and annoying when it comes to investing. But I had huge levels of control issues. I'm slowly working through them. Wouldn't say I've perfected it. But do you know that I couldn't ride a bike until I was like, I don't know, 12, (laughs) maybe even older? Because I was terrified of coming off training wheels. I was so scared of failing, of falling, of mucking it up, that I just wouldn't. I refused. My stepfather was like, take the training wheels off. I was like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. (laughs) He's like, you're never going to be ready. Take them off. And so I don't know, he finally convinced me at some very later age than most kids to take the training wheels off. And I was terrified. And I fell and I scraped my knees and had a few tears and it was all very dramaful in the beginning. And then, yeah, I learned how to ride a bike. And you know what they say once you learn. So it's exactly the same with investing. Yeah, we're going to do it scared. We're not going to run the other way. We're not going to wait for all the answers. We're not going to wait for the perfect, perfect, whatever, whatever, whatever. We're going to. Build off part one and all the things I taught you, and we're going to get going. But when we get going, especially as a first-time investor, I want to remind you that that fear doesn't naturally leave you. And during COVID, I hate saying that because I know it triggers everyone. So, first-time investors they got very panicked. Let me tell you a little bit about what I noticed. So. I was giving one-on-one advice. We talked to people about all the risks and all the things that we're expecting and that we're long-term investing. And you might remember that there was like a little blip during that initial phase or maybe you weren't paying attention and that's totally fine where share markets went down. And everyone thought, Jesus, this is the end of the world as we know it. And the amount of phone calls that I received from clients that I'd given advice to who were absolutely convinced that they needed to get all their money out of the market before they lost more, or they needed to switch their superannuation to cash, even though they were, I don't know, 30 or 35 or whatever. Panic set in, people lost their cool, they needed that level of control that I've always needed that held me back and they wanted to make very quick Very big decisions. And this is going to happen to you when you invest. It's not an if, it's a when for most of us. Knowing that that's coming, let's get ourselves prepared. I like to call this our sleep at night plan. I want to know that if I'm investing your money or if you're investing your own money, when shit hits the fan, which it's going to, insert financial situation here, you have got a plan where you're going to be able to go to bed at night and not wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat worried about your investments. So, I like to ask specific questions around, you know, what does the sleep at night plan look like for you? Does it mean that you have X amount of money in cash? Does it mean, whatever it's going to mean, think about it for you. I want to know that when markets go down, you are not going to panic and sell at the worst time because most people sell when markets have gone down and they crystallize that loss. I want you to give yourself a really strong talking to. In fact, what I get my greenhouse members to do is I actually get them to write themselves a very strongly worded couple of sentences on each of these questions. And when it happens, they go back and read it and remind themselves not to lose their cool. Because when we sell at a loss, we've eroded so much opportunity and we've panicked and we've probably made the wrong decision. Not always, but more often than not. What else can you do knowing this is coming in those moments? It's really simple. We want to take every step possible to stop ourselves from making a decision that is not in line with our strategy. And so practically what that might mean is that if you're using an app to invest in, in that period of time, if you know that you lack the self-control that you need, take the app off your phone. And for God's sakes, and this is just in a general sense, not even when investments are going down, down, do not check your investment portfolio daily it becomes such an emotional roller coaster and you don't need it god you don't need that stress in your life you don't want to worry that it's gone down 2% or you know oh my god it's gone up 2 dollars since yesterday or 10 bucks or whatever it is you don't need it you need a system and you need an automation and yeah you need to give a shit so don't think that i'm saying you never need to check it and you never need to care but we don't want to get sucked in to the point where we're then irrationally changing our strategy because we've become obsessed with it. I had a friend who told me that she was checking it and it got to the point where then she started to almost accidentally day trade. So she was making decisions on the fly, like hour by hour. She had a full-time, very senior, quite important job and it became an obsession. Now, that's rare and obviously... um, probably not something that most people have to deal with, but we just want to make sure that we're not getting ourselves into habits or behaviors that aren't healthy and productive for our long-term goals. So as I mentioned before, we want to have a systemized approach to this. I actually think we need a systemized approach to everything that we do with money because if we're leaving it to chance or we're leaving it to, I don't know, an annual review with ourselves, we're wasting time, we're wasting opportunity and we're getting in our own way. Systemizing stuff just takes all of the hassle out It means that it's working for you. The manual intervention is not there. You're less likely to self-sabotage. And James Clear, who is very well-known and very well-respected for his book, Atomic Habits, if you haven't read it, do. He says, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And I could not agree with that more. As someone who has always been very goal-oriented and have been a little bit shit with my systems in play behind those goals, the amount of effort and energy that I needed to put in just to get my goals I don't know, even beginning or having some level of traction. It was exhausting. And so, if you're busy and you're like, oh God, I just don't have time, no worries. Dedicate a little bit of time to making a system that works for you. What does that look like? When we're talking about investing, remember, we go back to the grow approach to our goals. So, this is G is looking at the goal. R is the reality. If we keep doing what we're doing today, where will we end up? O, what options exist? And W, are we willing to do the work? So, once we've got that established, what we need to figure out is, how's your budget looking? (laughs) Because it's all well and good to have the most beautiful, well-considered goals in the whole wide world. But if you don't have effort or resources to deploy to them, well, they're never going to happen. So, we want to look at your cash flow, and I like to call it conscious cash flow. Where is our cash flow consciously being allocated? We want to allocate some money to our goals it's likely you're going to have different goals with different time horizons that need different investment strategies. Really common. But if your budget can't handle that, you're going to need to do some panel beating. Are they going to need to panel beat your goals? Boo. But common. Or you're going to need to panel beat your budget? Boo. You're going to have to rip out some spending. But that is the reality. Now, if you're doing this for the very first time, I want to caution you that it's great to do a budget. And it lives in, I don't know, some beautiful, perfect spreadsheet, but reality is quite different. So if you've decided that aspirationally you can save X amount every month or every pay cycle to this investment goal, but you've never tested it, I'm going to ask you to hold your horses just for a wee bit and put whatever amount that you think you're going to put in investments somewhere else in a bank account that you forget about for a little bit, just to make sure that that number is right. We just want to make sure that the number that you've allocated and the reality of how much your life costs is the same. Because what we don't want, again, is to put that money into investments, think to ourselves, oh, God, I forgot that I have X, Y, and Z bill, or I didn't allow for X, or I spend much money more money in reality than I did in my perfect sterile spreadsheet. I need to rip that investment money out. So, test it for a little bit of time. Once you know that it's the right amount and it's working for you, then we want to dollar cost average in. So, we want to have that regular system where it's either auto-debiting from your bank account or you're auto-pushing the money regularly so we can get out of our own way and we know that the money's going in. We're not worried about whether the share price is X or Z. It goes in regularly and we buy, buy, buy. That leads me quite nicely into market cycles. I could talk a lot about this, but I'm going to give you a a couple of things to learn or know. Um, And they were really helpful for me uh, as a new investor. And so I hope that they're helpful for you too. Markets do move in cycles and we never quite know where we're at in the cycle or what's coming. My most favourite aspirational thing is becoming an economist. I reckon it would be the best job ever because they just use the data of the day to make guesses. They're just making a guess. It doesn't mean that they're always right. In fact, most often they contradict each other. Economist A says X, economist B says that. And I'm like, well, that's great. Which one, do I, which one do I go with? We don't know. And so when we invest, we want to know that sometimes the markets are really high and similarly, sometimes the markets are really low. Now, I'm going to teach you some concepts because you might have heard of them. I use animal names. They are bull and bear markets. So, let me teach you what it is. So, let's start with a bear market. So what the hell is a bear market? Typically a bear market is where the market is going down. So share prices typically have come off because of, I don't know, insert issues, insert situation here. The best way to remember that a bear market is generally a market that's going down is I want you to think about a literal big scary bear, think about its paw, and I want you to think about its paw going down or clawing down. That, my friends is to depict the markets are going down. This is literally what we use in investment worlds. Okay, on the other side of the fence, when markets are racing ahead and things are going up, 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 we call that a bull market. Again, think about a bull with its horns and they are going up. That is how you remember that that's markets going up. So bears, paws are going down, bull, horns going up. Now, should we really care about bull and bear markets? Mm, Maybe, sometimes. But when you've got a dollar cost averaging strategy, so we're averaging the buy of our investments based on, I don't know, our pay cycle or however frequently we're adding it in, what we really think is that over time, we're buying at the average price anyway. So sometimes it's going to be more expensive. Maybe the markets come down a bit because of the bear and it's going to be a little bit cheaper. But over the long term, we end up getting that average. So market cycles are like a continual roller coaster loop. You can never predict unless you've got some sort of beautiful crystal ball. And if you've got one that's 100% accurate, can you send it my way? Uh, We never know what's going to happen in the future. Of course, we don't. Um, But if we're investing regularly, we want to take that sort of prediction cycle out anyway, because we don't care. We're buying anyway, because it aligns with our long term strategy and we've got cash in bank for an emergency. Okay. I talked about this in episode one, but just a reminder because someone asked me this actually only this morning around investing, and it seems so obvious to me, and this is the problem with financial services peeps, is that we take so much stuff for granted. And the question that I got this morning was, can I pull my money out whenever I want? And the answer is generally, yeah. So, I want you to know that You're not locking money away that you can never pull out again if we're talking about long-term investing. Of course, you can pull the money out whenever you like. There are some exceptions um, depending on the types of products that you're in or if a managed fund gets frozen or whatever. But generally speaking, yeah, you can pull it out whenever you like. However, compounding, which is that snowballing effect where our money is making money and that money is making money and those monies are making money and so on and so forth. Can you tell how excited I get by it? It's been coined the eighth wonder of the world. Let me tell you why. I'm going to give you an example. It's got some numbers, so stick with me. Let's say you were Kelly, and Kelly is um, the person who had the community question that I answered in part one with 20 grand. Let's say you were Kelly who had that 20,000 that they wanted to start investing in and you've decided based on your budget every single week, you got got 100 bucks that you can deploy for a long-term investing strategy. Let's say you put it somewhere and every year on average, you get 7%. Let's say you're invested for 20 years. Yeah, you've got 20 grand to start with. You've got 100 bucks a week you're putting away. On average, every year we're getting a 7% return. How much are we going to have in 20 years? Based on my calcs, it's about 300 grand, 306,000. Here's the cool thing. Out of that 300 grand through your 20K and your 100 bucks a week, you have contributed 104 of that. Because of the compounding effect or the beautiful miracle, if you will, that is compounding, it's actually generated 182,000 of that 306 that it was in total. And so that's why we like reinvesting. That's why we want to make sure that the money is being reinvested if we get it um, a return so that we get that beautiful snowballing effect. Now, this example was a 20-year example. I don't know how old you are. I don't know when your goal time horizon is. But the sooner you start, generally, the better. So let's take exactly the same example, but I want to kind of push it out and say 20 years, I'm only 20. I don't need it in 20 years. I'm happy to wait, I don't know, 30 years. So let's add an extra 10 years onto this. So you might remember in my first example, we ended up with 306000 Now we've decided we're happy to wait for 30 years. It's a pretty significant difference. So we've still got our 20 grand. We're still doing a hundred bucks a week. We're still getting a 7% return. But because we've had now an extra 10 years, that number that's in our investment portfolio is now 690,000. Just a reminder that the first example was 306. This is nearly 700 grand. And that is because over time, the total amount of compounding or the growth is over half a mil. It's 514 grand. So whilst it's never too late to start investing, I genuinely and passionately believe Once you've started those few things that I told you you needed to get sorted before you start investing, like the sooner the better, the sooner the better and future you will be so damn grateful that you did. All right, let's talk about some practicalities. So, capital gains tax and dividends if you get them. So, if you get a dividend from your investments, even if you reinvest them, it's still going to go on your personal tax return. I say that because the amount of people that didn't know and they got a bit of tax bill shock uh, is a lot. When you buy investments, you need to understand that you've created a tax position. Yeah? You're either going to make money and have a capital gain, or you're going to lose money and have a capital loss. Boo. Your accountant, if you've got one, will help you figure this stuff out. But a couple of things to know. You are going to be charged capital gains tax when you sell an asset. If you hold it for more than 12 months, there is a discount, 50%. So again, we don't want to be day trading and buying, you know, tomorrow and selling the next day. We want to think about long-term investing because there's obviously some tax considerations. So understand we're making a tax position whenever we buy an asset, and potentially there's going to be some tax to declare on your tax return. And you wanna be strategic about buying and selling assets, especially when you consider the 50% discount method. Okay, let's talk about practically buying investments. Now, as I said in episode one, if you've bought anything online, you, my friend, are capable enough to be able to buy investments. There are a few things that you need to think about. I want to talk about two in a bit of detail. First up, I want to talk about the fact that you're going to have to buy or choose the investment product that's right for you. And we talked a little bit in episode one about the different options. There are so many different options. So you're going to have to figure out what is the right level of risk? How much do they charge in fees? What's the investment methodology? And I want you to also look at what is the historical performance of that ETF or managed fund or share. What I like to look at is what is the net performance? Sometimes people look at like last year, how well did it do? We don't want to do that. We want to go back as far as possible and see what is the net return after fees have been taken out. So we want to look for the longest time horizon when it comes to performance. And remember very annoyingly that past performance does not mean that's what it's going to do in the future. It just helps us get an indication of in the past, how well or not well has that fund done and how am I okay with that? So we're looking at buying an investment product. We've done all our research. It aligns to our goals. It ticks all the boxes in terms of what we want to invest in. We understand the fees. We've got the risk level right and we learnt more about the performance and we're comfortable with it. Awesome. Now the question is, where the hell are we going to buy this thing? There's a couple of different ways you can do it. It might be that the investment manager that you have found or the product um, provider, if you like, has their own platform. So you might be able to go direct to them. But if you're buying different types of investments through lots of different um, providers or maybe that one doesn't have their own platform, you're probably going to need an investment platform. And there's lots of different options, cool options that are available to you. When you're looking at buying through a platform, you also want to know what fees they're charging. Yes, they will charge a fee because they do work as well. I also think you really need to understand what reporting they offer you because there are some that are super low cost and you might be like, yes, I'm saving money on fees. But then it might be really hard to do reporting either at tax time or if you wanted to, you know, look at potentially selling at one point, it might be really hard to figure out what the capital gains tax is. Figure all of that stuff out before you set up the platform. We want to find our investment product that aligns to all the things, we want to figure out how we're buying it and then really simply open the platform which literally once you've picked the one that you want you just like set it up and then once you've got it set up you're going to need to fund it so you'll have to pop some cash in there or you can create that auto um, system which is generally what I would recommend people do and then once the money's sitting in there you can go in and buy the product that you've decided aligns to your goals it might be that you're buying a couple of different ones based on different strategies For each goal, which is really normal. Some people have a medium term strategy, which means that they have a different product to say their long term investment strategy, in which they're happy to take more risk in. Find the products, buy them, set up an automation, potentially set up an auto reinvest option. Again, look for whether a platform will do that for you, because if it doesn't, that requires manual intervention, which annoys me. Uh, And really, once that's happened, I don't want to say it's set and forget, because you should review it regularly, but it is that simple. It is not as hard as you think. It is not overly complicated. The first time you log in, it'll probably be a little bit tricky to navigate, but actually so many of them are really pretty and easy now. So I want to tell you that you can do it. And as I said at the very beginning of part one, if you are super, super terrified, then maybe starting with just a teeny tiny amount, practicing, learning, and then moving into more of a sophisticated strategy makes more sense to you. You do you, whatever's going to work. My last piece of advice as we're talking about investing for the first time is not only a reminder that you can do it and that financial freedom sits on the other side and is built while you sleep when you're investing, is that you've got to decide when. Now, I call this the now, nearly or never concept because when fear stands as a huge barrier, like a jail wall, if you will, impenetrable, when fear stares us in the face, it can be so easy to be like, I'll just do that later. So now that you've learned quite a bit about different things you need to consider, I want you to ask yourself, am I ready to start investing right now? And if the answer is yes, I want you to know that I'm doing a big cheer for you. Put time in your diary to work through all of the different concepts and to find what is going to work right for you. And when that money date comes up with yourself, do it. Do the work. If the answer is I'm nearly ready I just need to get that emergency buffer up a tiny bit or my income protection or whatever it is isn't 100% right. Awesome. Set a date. Set a date right now for when that nearly is going to become now because you will procrastinate on this forever, which brings me to never. The amount of people who are in their latter years who say to me with such sincerity, like they're piercing my soul with their eyes when they say it, they say, Jess, if only I'd started sooner. If only I hadn't waited and kept thinking that everything would just magically work out. Those people are now in much more financially precarious positions than they ever wanted to be in a lot of situations, not all, but a lot of them, because they never started. And that, my friends, is not being financially fierce. So are we doing it now? Are we nearly ready? Or are we never going to do this? You are ready to do this. You are capable of change and you're going to learn on route. Okay, I'm having a glass of water. I drink so much water. I'm coming back and I'm going to answer two more of our community questions.
1: If you're after personal financial
0: advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Welcome back. It is now time to answer two of your community questions. Now, a bit of a reminder we play in the This Is Money Facebook group, or you can slide into my DMs, Jess Brady underscore financial advice, if you have a question that you want me to tackle. And hey, if you found this episode helpful, I would be super duper grateful if you could send it to the people that you think would get value from it, or tell them to subscribe to the Financially Fierce podcast. Okay, Buzz asks, I'm a beginner investor and plan on long-term investments into ETFs. I was wondering about your thoughts on whether I should put a larger percentage into a smaller amount of ETFs or a smaller percentage into a larger variety of ETFs. I know most ETFs are fairly diverse, but will investing in a diverse range of ETFs provide any advantage or possibly hurt the compounding? Will either option save me on management fees? Any help would be greatly appreciated. Buzz, good question. This is where people start to get a little bit confused and bamboozled. So, I'm going to go back to the piece I was talking about around do your research. So, ETFs can come in all shapes and sizes. What are you actually investing in when it comes to those ETFs? There have been a few people um, when I've given them one-on-one advice and I've looked at what their portfolio is and they've got several different ETFs. But when you actually look at those ETFs, they're actually invested in the same thing. So, it might be that they've got, I don't know, three ETFs, but they're all invested in the top 200 companies in Australia or the S&P 500. And I'm like, I don't understand why, like talk me through why you've got three ETFs which are invested in the same underlying investments. And the answer was, I don't know, because I didn't really know what I was doing. There might be merit in doing either option. The question is, what are you wanting to invest in? What are those ETFs actually have under the hood? So remember, it's like the box of chocolates, because if you've got lots of different ETFs that are invested in the same thing, you might not be as diversified as you think you are, but you might also just be doubling up on fees and complexity when it's not needed. Uh, but similarly, if you're like, no, this ETF is an ETF that focuses specifically on, I don't know, there's whole different ones. But this is on the American market. This is the this is an ETF that looks at global stocks. This is one that's specifically for Australian market. That might make a lot of sense with how you want to build your portfolio. For some of you, you might be like, oh my God, I don't want to buy all these ETFs. That sounds really confusing. And it can be. So you might just want to find an ETF that has all of those bundled within it, because otherwise you might have to re-weight it manually, which can be labor intensive. So we want to know what we're investing in, we want it to align to our bigger, broader strategy, and we want to minimize fees where we can. My personal preference for my own life is to do more diversified ETFs. And so rather than having to sort of have several different ETFs that do different things, I tend to look for ones that have everything within them. And so it might be that some of them have got Um, Australian exposure and global exposure. It might even be to the emerging markets, whatever it is, all in one. Why? I like simple. I like simplicity. Simplicity is underrated in my world, I feel. You do you. Um, Know that there are diversified ones out there uh, and so you don't have to buy a whole heap of them. For others, you might be like, well, no, I want more exposure to this market or I want to, you know, play in some of the newer and more, you know, interesting style of ETFs and there are a whole myriad of them. Cool, you do whatever it is that's right for you. Personally, I'm buying diversified ETFs. Know that there are many options out there. If you wanted some more support, you could head to the This Is Money Facebook group and get more of the community insights on what other people are doing within their own portfolio too. Okay, another anonymous community question. Let's go. Anonymous asks, saving or invest Hi, everyone. I'm a bit stumped on what to do with my savings. I've got about 60K in my bank account, which I intend to grow and use in two years for a house deposit, aiming for 100K. And this is in bold. However, although it's a higher interest account, am I better off investing it for the time being? I am new to learning to invest and have a very small amount in ETFs. Um, So, they've got VDHG, VAS, SPY, and HACK, H-A-C-K. But that's all for the long term. So, should I keep it in my bank account or invest? And if invest, what should I buy? <laughs> this is a really common question around trade-offs and back to that time horizon conversation. So, Anonymous, you want to buy a house in two years, you've got 60K, you've got 40K gap. So, over the next two years, you want to save about 20K a year to get you to that 100K mark. You put that 60,000 in and the share market goes down, what then? Are you okay to not buy the place? Are we going to rip it out at a loss? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves when we've got a really short time horizon for investing. I would typically say even if there's a potential to make more money in the share market through ETFs, we are keeping it in cash because two years is not that long a time for a recovery if you look at historical data and most people really want that goal. Now, if you're really loose on that goal and you're happy to push that out or it's not actually that important to you, then that changes game. Again, that's why we've got to start with goals. But if the house is what we want, two years is not that far away. We want to look for the best high interest account, which it looks like you've done. And really the trade-off of knowing that the money's going to be there versus potentially the risk that it's not when you need it is what I think will drive your decision. Two other things that I want to say on this is, and I don't know whether this is your first house, uh, but potentially look into the first home super saver scheme. Yes, that's what they called it. But effectively, where you're able to put money into superannuation to pull out to buy your first home. So, you might be able to save money when it comes to tax, potentially around sort of 6,000. So, that could be something for you to look into. The second thing to think about, because you've got 60K and you want 100, is that maybe you need to talk to a mortgage broker sooner than you think. Property markets in Australia are wild. And the annoying thing for a lot of people is that they're hustling and they're saving like a mofo. But by the time they get to say that 100,000 deposit, the purchase price that they thought has now gone up and up and up because of the housing market they were in. So, you might want to talk to a mortgage broker sooner rather than later because potentially you might be able to get into the market with a lower deposit. They might have some options, especially based on your job. You might not have to pay lenders mortgage insurance or you might want to get a bit more educated on what the lenders mortgage insurance or LMI as it's called would cost and whether that trade-off of paying LMI makes more sense because you get in sooner than waiting if you have a position that the market is going to continue to rise. Okay, I am going to wrap that up there. I know we've covered a lot of different things when it comes to investing for the first time, but I hope you've learned a lot more than you knew before we started this series. And I hope you're feeling more confident and excited to get investing for future you. Remember, if you've got a question that you want me to tackle, I'm very happy to do so. You can slide into those DMs on Insta, Jess Brady underscore financial advice, or post it in the closed Facebook group, which is the This Is Money Facebook group. And I will answer or hope to answer it for you. You can invest. You can do it scared. I'm excited. Go get financially fierce. Bye.
1: We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which
0: we live and work and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to this podcast. Jessica Brady is an authorised representative of Paragen Proprietary Limited. Authorised representative number 1259972, AFSL 297276, ABN 16108571875, Corporate Authorised representative number 1305567. Any information or advice contained within this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of an individual. Financially Fierce is produced by the team at This Is Money. Keep the
1: conversation going in the This Is Money Facebook group linked in the show notes.